You're listening to episode 36 of Chat About Children with Sonia Bestelich. Let's chat. Discover children at a whole new level. Be empowered to grow with the children in your life. Welcome to Chat About Children with Sonia Bestelich. Hi there and welcome to Chat About Children where we chat about all things children and empower you to grow with the children in your life. Today's episode is all about stuttering and we are joined by a guest, Rich Stevens, who has stuttered since he was four years old. So we are lucky enough to have that opportunity to get some insight and some awareness as to what it is like inside the world of a child who does stutter. Before we get into the chat with Rich, I just want to make sure that you are aware of what stuttering is, and in some countries it's referred to as stammering. But basically, it's a speech disorder that causes interruptions in the rhythm or the flow of speech. And recent research in Australia indicates that 8.5% of three-year-old children experience stuttering. And that's usually the time when it's picked up about the three, four-year-old kind of mark. Sometimes people think that stuttering is caused by, you know, an event or a stress or anxiety. That's not really the case. We know that there is family history when it comes to stuttering and that it does occur more so in males than what it does females. You'll hear in my chat with Rich today about different types of stutters. So I'm just going to quickly let you know what they are so that it it all kind of makes sense when he refers to the different types. But basically, different types of stutters can include things like uh, sound repetitions, like can, so there's a repetition of a sound. It can also be a repetition of a syllable, like daddy, and then also repetition of words or phrases like I, 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 or I want, I want, I want. So those repetitions might happen once or they might happen multiple times. So that's one type of stutter. Another type of stutter is a prolongation. And that's basically where sounds or parts of a word are like stretched out, like can I go you know, to the shops. And another type of stutter is a block. And blocks are often silent. And this is where you might see it, or it looks like the person's stuck, like they're trying to say something, but they're having a block. No sound comes out. So they're the uh, common types of stutters, blocks, repetitions, prolongations. And there are also other types of stutters or other behaviors that accompany stuttering. And these can be verbal and include things like, you know, grunts or small non-speech sounds or filler words like um or er or pauses. And at times it can also be, you know, lots of blinking or body movements or facial grimacing. So they're all kind of secondary behaviors that accompany a stutter. So it's important to be aware of the different types of stutters and that will help you to understand some of the um, conversation that I have with our guest Rich Stevens today. And certainly it's recommended that anyone who is worried about stuttering to ensure that you do have your child assessed. Early intervention is certainly recommended for children who stutter and there are great outcomes for assisting those children. Currently, the Lidcom program of early stuttering intervention has the strongest research evidence for children under the age of six. And there's also this just so much continual research going on in terms of how to best support and manage stuttering for children of different ages and adolescents as well as adults. So let's get started with the chat with my guest Rich Stevens today. Rich is a person who stutters and since the age of four has lived with the physical, social and emotional impact of stuttering. Rich, like most young people who stutter, did not meet another young person who stuttered, and this led to childhood feelings of loneliness and isolation. It's a tragedy felt within young people throughout the world, and Rich has decided to do something about it and make positive change. Rich Stevens is the president of SAY Australia, the first international arm of SAY, the Stuttering Association for the Young, founded in 2001 in New York City by Taro Alexander. SAY is a not-for-profit organization that utilizes creative arts programs to support young people who stutter to know that their voice matters and deserves to be heard. Prior to launching SAY Australia last year in June, Rich lived in Manchester, UK. He graduated as a mental health nurse in 2009 and worked with children and adults with a range of mental health difficulties in the UK, in Ireland, and also in New Zealand. In 2017, Rich graduated with a degree in speech and language therapy, and also a master's in neuroscience and neuroimaging. Rich first volunteered at Camp Say in America in 2015, 
and became part of their leadership staff in 2017. Rich is now bringing a new approach to supporting young people who stutter to Australia. Welcome to Chat About Children, Rich. Hello. Thank you so much for joining us. There is a lot going on for you in your life, apart from your personal life with the young bubs and your young family. You're doing a lot. You're on a mission to support and make a change for young people who stutter, and you're here in Australia. So thank you for bringing you here to make a change. Tell us a little bit about you, Rich, and you know, kind of let's just go back right to your childhood and tell us a little bit about your stuttering. You know, you started stuttering at age four, and for those who aren't aware of the term stuttering, stammering is another way that we might refer to it. But for you, it started at age four. Yeah, of course. Can you remember that moment and tell us a bit about that? Yeah, sure. So my earliest memories of having a stutter, like a lot of it will come maybe from my parents, you know, because my parents probably saw the first signs when I was probably about three and a half. I remember being, it was around four and a half, five years old. I remember my earliest ever memory is being in school. The teacher introduced themselves, asked us to introduce our name, and I wasn't able to get my name out. I knew my name. The words were totally there in my head. For some reason, I wasn't able to get the words out of my mouth. And that was a very confusing time for me because I knew my name. And the other children were introducing themselves. And at the time, I was not aware, you know, exactly the mechanics of, you know, the process of what was happening yeah, to me at the time. Now I look back, I knew I was having a block. I was just having a silent block. Um, it felt like the air was trapped. The words weren't coming out. And I remember people just staring at me. And the teacher, I think they were a bit shocked. I just remember their face just being very, like, blank. And then they moved on to someone else. And that was my first ever memory of having a stutter. Not that I knew at the time I had a stutter. So that was my very early memory. As time went on, obviously, my parents took me to speech therapy. Mm -hmm. My memory of it is very vague. I remember playing with trains, playing with toys in speech therapy in the clinic. And I think the trains, the carriages were the linking up of the words to try and be more fluent in my speech. So the techniques that we used... I'm not able to kind of really remember. But I remember going in and I enjoyed going to speech therapy because it was a woman who saw me and I used to go and see her every week from the ages of, I think I was probably about six till I think my speech therapy changed or the speech therapy changed when I was 10. But then in that meantime in school, yeah, look, it was just every day was an effort. Every day was fearful. Every day I woke up and I thought, Am I going to be chosen to speak in class today? Am I going to be chosen to introduce myself, to say my name? Because that was one of the hardest things for me as a kid. I mean, my name was given to me by my parents, and I love my name. But to not being able to say your name as a kid is tough, and you don't know why, you don't understand the reasons why. And then just everything in class, if I was asked a question or the class was asked a question, I'm not saying I know the answer all the time, but yeah. then at times if I did, Oh, I was so scared to raise a hand because I'm sure I did previously. And, you know, I tried to say the answer and I stuttered. The words did not come out. I think I was laughed at though a few times. All that does then is it stops me from raising a hand. It stops me from trying to answer questions. And I just remember so many days, so much effort was spent just trying to hide my stutter or just trying to avoid all the time. There was sometimes I'd go into class and I would fake having laryngitis. I'd go, sorry, I can't speak today. And of course I could, but I would just try everything. And then even if we were doing the reading passages, I would try to count the number of kids and think, right, they're reading that line. So maybe that line is mine. So I would practice, practice, practice oh. that line in my head over and over again. And sometimes I'd count the kids wrong. So it wouldn't be that line that I'd have to read. And then even if it was, it would be just that story that would be happening for each yes. line for the children. I would not be paying attention to that. I would just be focused on my line. And then the mental energy, the physical energy to try and get the start of a sentence out, it was draining. It was draining. So by the time I got home every night, I was shattered. I was so tired. You know, my parents were awesome. They were like really understanding. But it was tough because I didn't know anyone else who stuttered. So I thought it was only me. You know, I was asking, why me? Why me? Why no one else? There was no one who I could really talk to about it. who had a similar experience. And so many times at night, I would, yeah, I'd feel angry, but 
I'd be tearful just going to bed. And there was times when I cry myself to sleep, I'd wake up in the morning and they start the same process again, really. And that was tough. It was tough as a child. I was quite fortunate, though, I didn't really get picked on or bullied. Like, there were instances I would get called, but I think I just learned to have a very strong backbone from a very early age. Like, you know, and there was no one more harder on themselves and than me. So I could get called anything off anyone. But for me, it was just internal. You know, it was yes. a lot of shame. It was a lot of guilt. And yeah, it was just a psychological minefield every day for me. Thank you for sharing that and such deep insight, because I know already just from what you've said that so many people will resonate with that. As a speech pathologist, we get some level of insight when we meet children who stutter and some who are older who will share some of that. But to be able to hear someone like yourself articulate the internal world helps them to just go, okay, yes, that's me too. And it sounds absolutely exhausting, Rich. And I think that's where it's hard for someone who doesn't stutter and doesn't understand all the different layers and levels to what's going on. I feel like a child who stutters, and even adolescent or adult, can often be easily misunderstood. Is that something that you felt because people would kind of go, okay, just let's just move on to the next person or there's nothing here that he wants to say. And did that kind of feeling, was it constantly there? Yeah, definitely. Like, I think it's so complicated when you're, yeah, kind of when you're talking with people who have a stutter and especially from a young age. And I think, you know, there's lots of ways to kind of stutter. You know, you've got silent blocks, you've got your voice blocks, your repetitions and prolongations. And I think as a kid, you know, people tried to be kind. They saw that I was stuck and they thought, like the sentence I was trying to say, they would try to finish it. So I said, you know, I would see a red pen and I'd want the red pen. They might think I'd want the blue pen. And I would just not argue with it. I'd say, yeah, yeah, of course. And even though that sounds so simple, that's a very strong kind of pattern of your life. So even going to a restaurant, even going to McDonald's as a kid, I always wanted the fillet of fish, but I could not say that. So I'd always get hamburger. And it's so small things, which are comical, but they're very deep rooted because I think, that's my choice of what I want. But then I can't say that. Like as a kid, I was scared of the reaction I would get from people because sometimes you would get a laugh of someone. Sometimes you'd get a look of disgust. But I think it's very complicated. I think, and I say this a lot of times, as people who stutter, we tend like to um, kind of ambush people in a way. And so what I mean by that is in like, if you look at me, you don't know I stutter until I open my mouth. And people aren't really prepared for their reaction or know how to react. On the rare times in life as a kid where I spoke and I stuttered and there would be some adults who might not understand it, but they would just tend to give their time and to listen and to allow me to speak, even though they could see me really struggling. I think it's easy to jump in there and try to finish a sentence. I think it's very easy to miss a block as well. So when conversations are going on with like families or with other kids, and I've got a point for this conversation and I really want to share it. And I have to wait until there's a bit of a break. And if I miss it, I have missed my part of that conversation. And the conversation goes on and I will be ruminating on that point so long. And I think if I've got a silent block, say somebody asks me a question and I've got a silent block, they might think the sentence is over or I've finished and they move on to something else. Or they might even maybe walk off and move away. And I'm thinking yeah, I've still got these things I want to say and I can't. So I think that was the difficulty, whereas you felt life was really passing you by. You felt a spectator in your own life and a spectator away from other people's conversations. And you do have so much to share and so much to say, but you know you have to get into that the window of opportunity. And if you miss it, and if people don't see the signs, and then you've really missed your contribution and kind of not only to a conversation, but your contribution in life. So that was, yeah, it's very difficult. Absolutely. And obviously that has its repercussions, as I said, in that internal world. And more than anything, I think one of the key things that I'm hearing is just that disempowerment. It's just complete disempowerment when you haven't been able to exercise your choice in something. It's just like this repetitious yeah. pattern of giving away your power constantly. And that in itself would just have a massive impact. So you've touched, Rich, on a couple of things and many things, but one of the things that you've talked about is how people have responded. And I wonder, 
are there ways that you found helpful for you that was helpful for you growing up that we can say to listeners out there, you know, as speech pathologists, we'll often say to parents, you know, give your child time to say what they need to say. So we kind of give that that kind of piece of advice. That's our job. You kind of, you're expecting what you see. But for others in public, what is helpful for you? What message do you want to give if you say, you know what, if you come across someone that stutters, here's some things that are really going to be helpful for us. Yeah, sure. I mean, I would say that's a tricky question because I think everyone is so individualized because I know adults who stutter who their partners and their family members they do interject at the end of sentences and that's what they like and prefer. I think the majority of people who stutter, from my experiences, they kind of want the public to know that, yeah, look, I'm not stupid, I'm not daft, I know the words I want to say. And the only kind of difference between us in terms of communication is, for some reason, they just don't tend to come out um, as quick as you. So the only kind of difference is I take a bit kind of longer to say the words I want to say. And I think within that, for the public, I think you see all the misconceptions in the media, you know, all the myths. You look at the comedy values in the past of people in the media, like like on films, the people who stutter, or is the comic value. A lot of things are improving. But I think for the public, I think, like, and for me, I would say, like, if you know that person, or if you're having a conversation with that person, it depends how open that other person is with their cast stutter. But all you have to do is stop and listen. That's all you have to do. You just stop and try to listen and try to fight that urge inside yourself to be like, that person's struggling. I know what they want to say, so I'll finish it. I'll try and make it as easy for them as possible. For me and my experiences, I just think all things that have helped me is when I've met people who just stop and listen. Yes. Who just allow that space. They allow that time to really try to understand, to really give me that time to say the words I want to say. And I think education is key in this. You know, I think education, like I think it's easy if you know someone who stutters and you have a relationship with them, with, which is very open, that would tend to bleed into your interactions with everyone else. If you don't, I do think it's really hard because the public kind of knowledge is getting a lot better with the, like, uh, with the International Awareness Days and you see certain kind of documentaries when they win an Oscar or more things in films. But for me, it's allowing that space. Just allow that space. Just fight the years to interject, to listen, you know, because for people who stutter, have a lot of cool things to say if they're given time to say it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I know for many kids that I've worked with who stutter, their language skills are just absolutely amazing. Very often, they just have... Yeah, really, really strong language skills. And they often have a lot to say. You know, very often that's kind of a profile I have seen. It emphasizes what you say is that like anyone else, there's a lot to contribute to the conversation, to whatever's going on. But it is that natural urge that I find where you just, you feel like you're helping someone by just, oh, I'll just finish this sentence. Oh, they can't find the word. I'll just throw it in there. So I think that's important. Sit back, wait, and just be patient, allow the space. I think that's important regardless of age, really. So, yeah, so thank you for sharing that one. Now, with stuttering, we know there's a close correlation, we kind of touched on it before, with social anxiety. Often it's picked up, stuttering's often picked up, you know, around the three, four-year-old kind of mark as it was for you. And certainly there's a lot of push for early intervention, early identification, which is better in some parts of the world than others. And treatment is different in some parts of the world than others. So the management that you perhaps experience might be a little bit different to Australia. And there are some you know, great websites and programs, and I won't go into all of them right now, but that are very effective in managing early childhood stuttering. But tell us a little bit about that correlation of social anxiety and stuttering, because it's very real. And as speech pathologists, we trained now to look at anxiety more closely in even younger children. Look for those signs early on because from what research is saying, there are aspects that are occurring earlier than what was previously thought. What's your feedback on that correlation of social anxiety and stuttering and kind of looking at at young kids? Yeah, because look, I think from my time, which was probably a couple of years back when I was hoping to go over to America to do my pay to do my PhD. 
I was obviously looking, you know, in terms of neuroscience, I wanted to look into the role of the amygdala and the memory from when people like very early on, which, and from when children, you know, have that first instance of kind of stuttering and kind of what mechanics, you know, are triggered, like the first system, the amygdala. You know, I think social anxiety, I think with people who stutter, for the research that I've done, I think from young people who stutter are more aware of their communication kind of difficulties than other children with other communication difficulties. You know, I think from the research that I've seen, when young people do stutter and when there's a group of children, when they can't get the word, um, a lot of other children find it hard to know what's going on within the group. And they tend and they tend to navigate towards other kids who don't stutter. So it's so complex from a very early age. Like, I think if you stand out um, at all as a kid and um, it's tough and it's difficult with the social dynamics that happen so early on with children. But I think the correlation... Yeah, look, I think with the social anxiety, with social inclusion, I think for young children who stutter, I think there is so much kind of going on in your development. There is so much going on with the environments, with school, with making friendships. As you get older in childhood, communication, your nonverbal communication plays, plays more of a role, more of a dynamic. You think of the difference between when you're 10 and then you go into high school just all that level of communication then, you know, when you're dealing with the opposite sex, you know, girls or with boys or just mm. anything, so much is learning communication. So in terms of socially, so when you're very young and you're nonverbal skills, but as you grow and when your voice plays a major part in communication, when, when the prosody of your speech, when just everything about your voice that identifies you, if that's a stumbling block, between friendships and interactions and even educational levels and you like you think of young children who stutter you know or even yeah like even teenagers I remember sometimes I'd never kind of want to go in school because I knew I might be reading today or I'd be doing this I'd be doing that so the social anxiety educational anxiety I think it's all tied into and I think with anything to do with healthcare with anything to do with speech you can look at the label of someone with some of these stutters but you can look at them and you can look at that person and you can look at, like for me, with therapy, it's about options, you know. So I always think, yeah, I mean, there's, you know, like there's programs that you talked about before that you could allude to that might be, you know, in England and America and other countries and here in Australia. And there's lots of programs out there. And especially early intervention, I would say is key. Look, like, and for me, you know, if you can help a child to be more fluent, then obviously that is amazing. It's like anything, like any kind of difficulty in life. If you can help that child, and then great. The thing for me is if you treat um, kind of stuttering only like at the top of the iceberg model, so just a repetition verb and the blocks and prolongations, if you don't deal with underneath, and people say, oh, well, kind of kids are too young to be dealing with underneath. Well, look, there's lots of research out there that says young children who stutter very early kind of have the traits of social anxiety. Or you're not able to diagnose it that early on. But if you don't even like even have it in your mind, then you're missing out on so much to do with stuttering on the core of stuttering, I feel, is you're missing out on everything under the iceberg, like the shame, the guilt, the fear, the isolation. So there's a massive kind of correlation. There was always that thing in the past about anxiety caused someone to stutter. Obviously, we've gotten further away from that. Yes. But it is correlated because the social isolation comes from the fear of speaking. Fear of speaking, the fear of being found out, I think, is a big one. If your level of having a stutter, if it's not as strong and you're able to be covert and to hide it, even at a young age, you learn tricks. You yes. know, I learned so many tricks when I was like young to just hide. But then the fear of, you know, being kind of found out is encompassing. It's cause you sleepless nights. So the correlation is huge. And I think for people in the research field or any field, with anything to kind of ignore that I think you're not looking at that person you're not looking at that child as a whole and you're just dealing with and kind of what you see it's like before and what I touched on people who start to tend to ambush people because of what you see if you only deal with what you see and if you don't tend to deal with or you ignore everything underneath or not think about okay there's a potential to that to really manifest and then I think you're doing it's not a disservice I just think the potential of maybe creating more harm than good. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I agree. The fundamental 
is really looking at the person and all the layers underneath. And I feel like probably needs a little bit more training, I would say, in some professionals and awareness, because often there is a focus on, okay, well, where are the difficulties? Okay, great. Here are the difficulties. Let's start working on it. And you're really ignoring. I mean, I'm more than 20 years as a speech pathologist. So I'm beyond that. I'm kind of like holistic. What's going on for this person? Who are they? What are they interested in? What are they like? What should they like? So as time and experience, you know, you move away from what you've come out of university, and I'm talking about my personal experience, could be different for others, where you're so focused on the pathology of what's going on. And so taking a step back and going, well, we've got to look at the underlying causes and the issues and addressing that, that then has a domino effect on everything else, makes a lot of sense. If you have to look back at yourself as a child, and now with all your wonderful training, Rich, how would you have approached your management differently? So you're imagining that you're managing yourself as a four-year-old coming in for therapy. How would you approach it differently? So I think if you would have asked me if I was 10 years old, I think I would have had a totally better answer to that. I think four years old, I think it's tough. I mean, like I think to focus on fluency, I think he's right. Like I don't think there's and there's like any harm or having a focus on fluency. So I don't think there's there's like any harm in that. I think there's a danger of overloading a four-year-old with like psychosocial aspects of having a stutter. So I think it's just like having that talk inside, having that relaxed talk inside them, having, you know, making therapy kind of fun. Look, I had a good time in therapy. I remember playing with the toys. I remember my parents having a lot of conversations with the therapist as I played with like cars and toys. And I remember even the things that we did in therapy, I didn't feel under pressure. You know, um, I like going, I like the actual, you know, trying to link up words. And I think it helped me to some degree because my stutter was like very, very, very strong. Now it's very mild. But I think if that was me as a therapist now and we're the four-year-old, I think it's just kind of seeing where they're at as much as you can do for a four-year-old and really understanding where the parents are at as well. Because I think a lot of it is, like I think for my parents, my parents, even though they were absolutely amazing, they didn't have a lot of education on it. So they were really confused. I think they felt um, a lot of guilt. I think they felt if I wasn't fluent straight away after therapy, therapy wasn't working or they'd failed me. But for me, yeah, I think it's that dynamic of the household. I think if you can tend to reassure the parents, I think like if you only focus on the percentage of the syllables, you know, um, yeah, Ren kind of stuttered, right? So like if you do your assessment, boom. And then next week, two months, three months, and you take it again, and the percentage has so come down. Oh, it's so come down. You're thinking, oh, yeah, it's amazing. But I would want to know if they're changing words. That's what I would want to know if they're changing words or not saying the words they want. So for me, you might have a child who goes through certain therapy at a young age who's able to talk about their emotions, not to do with stuttering, but just how they're feeling. How do they feel about talking? How do they feel in school? Because I never had that. I just remember talking about my speech a lot, like solely focused on my speech and not how it made me feel. So I would argue if you had a child after so long and the percentage goes up and up and up, People might see that there was a bad sign. But for me, I was thinking, are they saying the words they want to say? So I think it's very complicated. I think for me, it's understanding that child as best you can, understanding the family and yeah, kind of what they want though as a whole, you know, what their understanding of stuttering is and what their education is, what are their anxieties as well? You know, so the only reason I go back to a 10-year-old because yeah, kind of when I was 10, my therapy changed. And I remember walking in one day, I didn't have therapy for about three months. And I walked into this room and there was a guy there. There was a guy with a shirt hanging out, shorts. And I was thinking, oh, I have to introduce myself all over again. And he introduced himself first and he stuttered. The first person I met who'd ever stuttered. And I always remember him from time to time. I got in contact with him actually about a year ago and said I qualified as, a, as an SLP and blah, blah. But he stuttered. And I remember at that age, it was really cool because he just shared his experience, what he was like. And he spoke about that dynamic of going to high school and what's tough and what's not tough. We did a lot of talking, some focus on fluency, but a lot, a lot of talking. So for me, it's like as you were kind of saying before, each child is different, each family is different, each level of awareness and education to do with stuttering is very different. So I think there's no gold standard answer. I would just say 
offer options. If you just offer an option of like, we're just going to focus on your fluency now and that's it, and not any talking therapy, I would say you're not providing enough options. But fair enough, even if that child says at a certain age, I just want to be fluent, and the family just says, I just want to be fluent, then you have to respect that, I think. Yes, absolutely. So one of the key turning points for you was obviously meeting someone who stuttered. And of course, that probably gave you various kind of feelings of relief or someone's been in the same world as me. It's not just me and all sorts of things kind of come from that. And I'm leading to say to the Stuttering Association for the Young, tell me about how you even found out about it and kind of your journey from there and what difference that's made. Yeah, so I'd been working as a nurse I'm in New Zealand in the Maori population um, in Wellington. Great job. I worked in mental health for a long time, but I wanted to be an SLP. I wanted to work with young people who stutter and adults who stutter. It was always a dream. I just had that confidence because I was in a strange place still. I was still being covert. So I came back to England. I applied to, to the University of Manchester and I got in and I was like, oh, wow. And even that was a dream come true. Like That was a dream come true to just know. But still, I was in a funny place still with my stutter every year I was improving but I found a sport group in Manchester the British Stamina Association because apart from my therapist who I met 10 years old I never met anyone else then until I was 32 33 oh wow and that was amazing just like sharing stories just like seeing people from all walks of life all different ages and having such the common stories and sharing some heartfelt stories sharing some funny like even upsetting but just hilarious stories as well with having a stutter so yeah so that gave me the confidence to apply to Manchester Uni I got into Manchester Uni and I just had a break in the summer and I just thought okay it'd be cool to find if there's a camp somewhere or some like a weekend program in England that works for young people who stutter looked around England and there was a couple but there was one which it focused on anchor fluency like five hours a day two days and I just thought I get it but yeah, it's not for me that, you know, it's not for me. And then like I crawled the web and I came across, say, I just came across a website and it was like, every voice matters. Young people have as much time to say the words that they want to say. They do this camp for two weeks, which was in North Carolina. Now it's in the Poconos in Pennsylvania, in New York, because they're based in New York. They're in their kind of headquarters. So I thought, you know, it sounded... Yeah, and I can say this because all my friends are there. Um, it sounded a bit too cheesy. It just sounded a bit too cheesy. Yeah. And I thought, you know what? I'm just going to go. I'll apply and I'll see what it's like. And I remember I applied to go as a bunk counsellor. I remember going on the first day I arrived and we have a week's training first. That was epic. There was over 50 people in that room, the staff training, and about 40 of them um, had a stutter. And even that was mind-blowing for me. And just that mm. week's training just talk about the process and when the kids come to camp. And then after the week, the kids came to camp and that was amazing. 180 children, I think 100, oh, I'd say 90% of them probably had a stutter. The rest were the siblings of people who stutter. So they invite the siblings just to have a better understanding, mm. you know, stutter um, and kind of what it's like. So yeah, I was there for two weeks as a bunk counsellor with the oldest lads. And it was just amazing. It was just a beautiful place in the woods, up in the hills, there was speech therapy there, but it was very relaxed. Speech therapy would be, oh, I don't know, every three days you might have, you know, an hour and you go over the speech therapist up to a cabin and you just chill. And the speech therapist would and would say, okay, what do you want to talk about? And a lot of the kids would want to find a bit more information about the brain with it or just any questions they had or they share stories. Whilst in the meantime, there'd be rock climbing, horse riding, beach parties, soul train nights. It was just a beautiful experience. The staff were amazing. The kids... I learned so much from the kids in those two weeks and the variety of stutters, the variety of backgrounds and ages. It was just a beautiful place, very humbling for me to go even as an adult and to just be in an environment where if you where like if you were a fluent speaker, you were the other one out. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but then there were people there who didn't stutter, who just gave so much time and so much empathy. So yeah, so I just kept on coming back after my second year. They took me on board for the leadership staff, so I had a bigger role at camp. So, yeah, I was coming up to the end of my qualifications, and my plan was to go to America to do my PhD. I'd got into Vanderbilt and a few other places. But, yeah, to cut a long story short, like I met my partner, who's an Australian. We came over here, and then I spoke to the founders of Say, and I said, look, 
you know, why not kind of bring it um, over here? And they thought it was a bonkers idea to bring their programs. So basically, I spent more time kind of with them in the last few years working at the camp and working in New York. And what they have is they have an after-school program in the creative arts. And they invite kids who stutter to come to that, which I can talk about yeah, like a bit more in more kind of detail. But but just all these fantastic things and that they do. And for me to find a place like that, you know, at my age, it was like really humbling. And it was upsetting at the same time because I just thought as a kid, I would have loved like and to have that camp, to have that after school program, to just meet other children who stutter and adults. I would have loved that as a kid, you know, and you see these kids who come. And I always think it's a beautiful experience when they were based down in North Carolina. A lot of kids come from New York because that's where their programs are. And I always think, like, it's amazing. We had this kid who came one year and he'd never met anyone else who stuttered who was coming from New York. And he gets on this plane and there's 80 children who stutter on the plane. And his jaw was on the floor all week. He was just, like, staring around at everyone and just his eyes were shining. And, yeah. you know, and he keeps on coming back every year now and the improvement he makes. So, yeah, so to find Say was just purely by chance. And to say it changed my life would be a massive understatement. Um, it's just changed me and my relationship with my stutter. And it's given me now an opportunity to really provide an environment for young people who stutter to buy, and to provide an environment like and to meet other young people who stutter and other adults who stutter. And I think, for me, I think that's, um, it's a beautiful kind of humbling experience. And I think I'm very honoured to do it. And I think, to bring it over here to Australia is just, it's mind-blowing, but it's just great in every sense. Yeah, it's absolutely amazing. And I love how you say it's changed the relationship that you have with your stutter, but really it's changed the relationship you have with yourself ultimately, hasn't it? And that's what you're seeing in other kids that you work with. And what you're describing is that during those activities, all that camp kind of format, etc., there's just a focus on just, people just being themselves and taking a like almost just you know yes the label is there and this is going on but it's like an open forum be yourself be comfortable and ask anything you want to say like it's just kind of that freeing or liberating it sounds like a liberating kind of experience for a lot of people who attend is that about right yeah just look even on that simple you know when kind of yeah when kind of level these kids are being kids you know you have this environment where they can just come and be themselves and I think of the many activities we do, like Teams Day, where every child has a chance to shine. So they all do these teams like basketball or archery, and all the kids will be in a team, and we follow it around all day. So each child has a chance to shine, and they play against all the staff. Now, I don't think the kids will be listening to this. Maybe the staff, maybe let them win. I don't know. <laughs> I won't put that on record. Um, but then even just we have like the poetry nights, or we have the buddy day, where like a younger kid might spend time with a younger child, they get to spend like all day together doing these activities. And then at nighttime, in one of the open spaces at camp, there's an open mic. And it's just open. And if they want to get up in front of everyone and share, and you see so many kids, and as soon as they get up, it's silent. You can hear the crickets because it's always at nighttime, but it yeah. is just silent. You can hear a pin drop and they just have the floor. They have the floor to share. And then like at the end of camp, they do a mini version of the creative arts program where they invite families to come on the last day in the big amphitheater and they just get up and do their thing and it's beautiful but they're just being kids at the end of the day they are just coming meeting other kids and i think the great thing about this because in terms of stuttering it does not discriminate against any culture any race or anything you know i mean the percentage of people who stutter is all over the world you know and it's great to see adults and young children from everywhere in life just come together and just all the stuff that's going on in the world is left and we're just there in that space and we have a lot of fun and you see these kids who might have some very hard times at schools um, at the school might have just a hard time in life and they come and it's not that says very much like if you have a stutter and it's the best thing in the world because it's tough it's tough having a stutter you know even accepting it me and my stutter do I accept it M 100%? I, I probably don't. I still have my tough days, my tough weeks where I'm not fluent, but I'm in a better place with it. And I think that's a great thing for these kids to see that, yeah, um, having a stutter is tough, 
but you can do anything that you want in life, you know, and the stutter that's hold you back, it's like society or your relationship that can stop. So that's what a lot of say is about, you know, it's about improving that relationship and just meeting every kid where they're at and, you know, because everyone's different. Yeah, yeah. It sounds absolutely life-changing, I imagine, for a lot of kids. I'm sure there's lots of tears on that last day of wanting the camp to go on a bit longer or parents or carers just kind of going, wow, my child is, you know, they'd see that happiness and that connection with others. And that's kind of what you look for in life, for your children, for yourself, etc. Yeah. Sounds really amazing. Now, Rich, you're based in Melbourne. So with Say, and obviously, you know, you're bringing it to Australia. Yep. Are you traveling around? Like, how are you doing this? What's your plan here? So our plan for, like, we launched in June and we've just done our first creative arts program called the My Share Project. So that ran in October to December with, with and there were four young people. A great show, a great share. We were down at Victorian College of Arts. It's where we have our kind of sessions on a Saturday from 11 to half one. We were just helping the kids to create um, a share. So a share could be anything. It could be a dance, it could be play could be a speech could be anything Anything that the kids want because they are in full control over what they do yeah within the limits obviously you know because you know (laughs) i mean in terms of kids imaginations are great but sometimes they just think oh i want to do these things it's well it's got to be age appropriate so we'll say but it's just we have these great things and then the kids what we did we had the theater across the road at grand street theater invited family friends there was about 102 people there and the kids got up and they did their share and they were fully control so that's the first project that we did Next project starts in a couple of days. Same place down at the VCA in Melbourne. So a lot of our programs for, so like we have three programs which were run this year. We've got the art um, exhibition anchor projects and that's starting on Saturday. And that's an eight-week program where and where kids will work together on a collaborative kind of piece of art and an individual kind of piece of art. And then at the end, we'll hire a gallery, all their pieces up and they get to present their art and share their art with people. We've got a playwriting program coming up in May. And then in October, the Maisha Anchor Projects again. We'll have a break in our winter. Yeah, see, here's where it confused me because the UK, I, yeah, so it's <laughs> the winter here. Because I'll yeah. be going over to enter kind of camp again for a few weeks in America. Then the Maisha Project will start again in October. But all this is based in Melbourne at the moment because, we, because we've only just, like, we started off. We had four kids for the first program. For this program, we've got, I think there's eight or nine young people enrolled which is awesome. You know, even with one child, it's great. We will be there every Saturday morning. If it's one kid, it's great. So for eight children, it's amazing. But our goal is is basically, I'm starting to make a lot of connections with people like in Adelaide and Perth and other kind of cities. So for me, I would love to find kind of people who are interested in what we do. So if somebody was in Perth, like somebody might be talking to soon, it's like, yeah, look, um, the SAE programs sound great. How do we do it here? Now, it's difficult because for America to trust me to do it, and look, they're my really great friends now and stuff, but that was a big thing because they've never kind of branched out Mm. of America and they've only just started to branch out in other kind of cities. So to come to Australia was a big thing for them. So for me, it's very much the same in other kind of cities. So for me, I would love to come and do a workshop on a Saturday. Like if there were SLPs interested, they had a couple of families who thought, yeah, look, we'd love to see what it's all about. I'll fly over. I just need a space, invite the families and the kids. And we'll do a mini workshop from like like nine till four and a free workshop. It's like I say, all our programs are free. So we don't charge the families anything. Our programs are free. That's what we want to do in these next maybe 12 months. I could see that kind of happening in a couple of cities. And it's just for people to get a flavor of what we do. We are kind of wanting to do a program in 2021. It's called the Storytellers Project. And Children around Australia can access this because it can be done over Skype and Zoom. We've got an acclaimed author involved. So the storytelling project is basically young people will work with an author, an acclaimed author who has a stutter himself, and he will do some workshops with them over Skype, over Zoom, and he will help them to create a story that they want to tell about their experience. You know, And it could be a time that they went on a plane or on a holiday to do with having a stutter. And then what we'll do is we'll turn those short stories into a book. And then our goal is to do, oh, it's like a book signing day when the yes. kids will fly down. We'll have a big kind of like stage set, families and friends, and they get to read the next third of their book. They get to the book signing as well. So we'll invite, yeah, liking people. But then 
that's a program that might take a bit of time to get off the ground. But in the meantime, it's just kind of getting everything right here in Melbourne. Yes. But I can see in the next 12 months, hopefully, there's people interested, people who are showing an interest in what we do, to just bring down a team and to just share, say, with some families. And if they like it, then we'll go from there. And if they don't, it's all cool. You know, yeah. there's no pressure to like us. There's no pressure to take part, even what we do, even in our programs and what we do as well. Even if kids work on a project and they get to the performance day and it might be a bit too much for them, it's cool. There is no pressure to do anything. The kids are in total control. And if they want their share still shared, then all the volunteers will act it, you know? Because yes. I think there's a powerful thing in that. If it is too much, or like we meet each kid where they're at. So even for a child to write a play could be mind-blowing for them, even to just stand up on stage or to be in the audience. So for us, it's what that child, or it's where that child is at, and we will help and support them. So yeah, so that's where we're at the moment. That's our dreams. Our big dream is to hopefully, because it takes a lot of planning this, uh, yes. probably do like a mini camp, you know, mini camp in the summer, like probably a three or four day camp. Because it'd be really cool to get kids from certain places in Australia, like from Brisbane, Queensland, Darwin, Perth, Tasmania, or anywhere, to all come together and meet other people who stutter and do a cool camp for a couple of days. That's the dream. That's going to take us a while, I think. But for the time being, the kind of Melbourne project is where we're at. And we'd love to do, you know, a one-day kind of session in other cities if possible. Yeah, that sounds amazing and fantastic. And very possible. Yes, it will take time, but it sounds very possible. And as you know, there is that need and it's just kind of taking those one step at a time, getting the awareness out. And this is part of why we're chatting today is to kind of get the awareness out and at least for a start, understand what options are out there that say does exist. What does it do? How do they do it? And as you say right now, Melbourne is kind of the hub of where you're refining all your programs and implementation, all that kind of the the structure and the logistics of it all. But once that's down pat, it gives you that option to then look at how you branch out into other cities. Yeah. So there's a lot of good work to come, Rich. Yeah. There's a lot of like a lot of hard work and I think awareness, like, and that's why, yeah, like I appreciate your invitation and to come on the show today and spread awareness because I think awareness is totally key for anything. And even then, I think awareness, there's people might think, oh, say Australia, they support young people with stutter. How do they do it? You know, is it fluency focused? Do we pay? What's all this creative arts? My kid has never been artistic in their life before. Well, I've not. Seriously, I can hold my hand up. And I think that's the most key thing about what we do. You know, what we have is a lot of people who care, who really want to make a difference in young people's lives. And it's not about the kind of product. It's not about the final products of, you know, of the show. It's not about the final product of like what's created. For us, it's just about the process. It's about that very simple thing. It's like if you take away everything about the VCA and everything about, you know, the creative arts, if you take it all away, you're just bringing young people who started together. And you know what? And it could be something they really love or it could be something that they don't like. And that's cool. If they want to experience it, you know, like, yeah, we're over here now. We're here. And yeah, and our doors are open to any young person who stutters. Yeah, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. Thank you so much, Rich. There is, as I said, there's a lot of work to be done, but there's also a need for it. And from what you say, you know, keeping it fairly simple, it's just an amazing environment and the activities just provide that safe, nurturing space, don't they, for kids potentially to feel comfortable and if they're feeling comfortable enough, they might just step out of their comfort zone and then that gives them a whole other new whole perspective on what they can actually do in life. Yeah, it's taking a risk in a safe environment. Yeah, but I think that's like key. The creative expression, you know, is down to the children, how they want to express themselves. Yeah. And I think it's taking a risk because, you know, all of us have to take a risk. And if we do it in a safe environment, in an environment where people do care, where like, yeah, if I say this to the families, I say this to young people, I say this and to adults or the volunteers, all you have to be is you. That's all you have to be. All you have to be is you. And if you want to join us and be you, no one's going to tell you how to speak. No one's going to tell you how to be. Just come hang with us. Because all these kids are awesome. They are awesome exactly how they are right now. You know, it might be pretty cool. It might help them just to know that they're not alone and to yes. see other people who stutter. Yeah. Yes. 
Amazing, amazing. Rich Stevens, tell us where can people find out more about Say and Say Australia? So yeah, so we do have a website which will be www.sayaustralia, all one word, and .org and .au. We do have Instagram, which I was really new to, which I'd set up, which was very complicated, but my partner's really cute at that. So Instagram's up, but kind of mainly on the website. And I think on the website, and then there's lots of brochures and you can download on the website. And it's all like the kind of PDF and documents. I think the schedule's up there, but I think just have a look in terms of the brochure. We are getting a blog up soon of um, of our event. I've just not had time because yeah, I've got an eight-month-old who just like, walking everywhere at the moment so <laughs> as soon as he gives me a minute i'll be able to kind of yeah to like and get that up and i would have a look and um, because we did a lot of work on international awareness day as well for the international um, starting awareness day on the 22nd of october so we'll be doing a lot of things for that day again and also we did a showcase for a documentary my beautiful stutter which is to do with say which is to do with four young people let's say and that's what I'm hoping to do as well. I'm hoping to maybe showcase that in other kind of cities, but that's what it works to do. But yeah, um, I think on the website, just find us on the website. You know, there's a lot of information there. And there's more information about me and the programs. So yeah, I think that's a good place to start. And like, if you go to one of the programs kind of sections and uh, just look for the brochure link, because there's lots of links for the brochure, download that and have a read. And if you want to get in contact with me, my email and phone number is all plastered over the website. Fantastic, fantastic. Rich Stevens from Say, Stuttering Association for the Young. Thank you so much for joining the chat about children today. No, okay, thank you. It's been great. Mike, I appreciate this opportunity and for raising awareness and it's been great to talk to you. Yeah, absolutely Pleasure, amazing. pleasure. A wonderfully insightful chat there with Rich Stevens from Say Australia. So I do uh, recommend that you check out his website, as he mentioned, and get a bit more information about the program and the activities going on there. And of course, I'll reiterate that if you are worried about stuttering, whether it be yourself as an adult or whether you have children you work with or in your household who you think might be stuttering, do go and get an assessment by a speech pathologist and, and get some recommendations and information as to the where to from there. And for school-aged children, adolescents and adults, you know, it's recommended that treatment is sought as soon as possible. We just want to avoid or reduce the impact of stuttering on you know, general well-being and on daily life. If you have enjoyed today's episode of Chat About Children, I would love for you to leave a review and a rating. And please remember to share this episode with family, friends and colleagues that you know will get value from the information presented. If you haven't already done so, I'd love for you to subscribe to Chat About Children with Sonia Bestelich and keep supporting the show and the ability to share this content with you. Thank you so much for your time and attention today. I celebrate you and look forward to chatting soon. Thanks for joining the Chat About Children with Sonia Bestelich, www.chataboutchildren.com.